My name is Andy. I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an array of incredible practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with friends and colleagues, subscribing, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. If you'd like to go even further, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You'll help me keep the lights on and support a wide range of charitable causes. You can learn more at mindfulcreative.coach. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. My guest today is Rayshana Gray. Rayshana has one of the most beautiful minds I've ever encountered. I first got to hear her speak at a Creative Mornings event uh, where she was the lead speaker sharing the work that she's been doing, preparing for her book, Roseland, which narrates the last 200 years of America's history through the stories of seven generations of women and her family. Rishana is a public historian, a storyteller, a creator, an entrepreneur. She's the founder of The Gray Area and the creator of The Heart Work, a framework and facilitated workshop series that helps people interrogate how imposter syndrome impacts their lives. She's partnered with organizations like Google, General Assembly, the Obama Foundation, and dozens of other nonprofits, universities, and community organizations. Most recently, she's been paving new ground in academia as part of Harvard's Opportunity Insights team, as well as past work with Harvard Business School's Gender Initiative and Tufts University's Center for the Study of Race and Democracy. She also volunteers widely the Cambridge Historical Society, Boston Book Festival, the National Organization for Women's Legislative Task Force. As you'll hear, she is a dynamo, and her thinking ranges widely from deep reflections on where we come from to playful excursions into things like astrology and family and relationships. This was a really fun one. And I'm so excited to share it with you. So, let's get settled in. And hear what Rayshana has for us. Rayshana, welcome to the Wonder Dome. Yeah, thank you. It's good to see you. Yeah, it's really good to have you here. I'm so grateful that you accepted my invitation and I'm excited to talk with you today. Likewise, mon ami. Hmm. When we were uh, talking before the recording, you shared with me that you have been working with and engaging with and becoming more deeply aware of what you described as this primal scream or primal voice, this primal force maybe that's moving through you and or moving in the world around you and that and that just like caught me I want to hear more about that and I wonder so I want to just sort of plant that seed but before we dive into that I I want to share with you what some people will have already heard in the intro that I'll record of why I invited you here today I got the chance to see you speak 
at Creative Mornings in Boston, probably over a year ago now. And I just left that 45 minutes so deeply moved. I was in tears. I was laughing, right? Like, what do they say? Like, you laughed, you laughed, you cried. Like, you just, you really created a, you really created a journey for me. And I sensed that the other 150 plus people that were in that crowd had a journey for them. There's a way in which you have this capacity to speak truth to power, to talk about and help us face parts of our history that not all of us have faced before. And to do that in a way that's really invitational and exploratory and genuine all at once. It's a remarkable needle that you thread. And I just want to mirror that to you because I think it is really special. And I hope that some of that comes through to the listeners today. In fact, I trust that it will. I appreciate that. Um, and I just want to like confirm that your message landed. Um, as soon as you said that my computer screen went black and I was like, yep, I don't need the distraction. Yep. I needed to feel that in my chest. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks for that. Uh, uh, the reason why that struck me so much, the reason why I am misting up through my antidepressants is because, <laughs> <laughs> is because my entire life um, I've been criticized for being too sensitive or for asking too many of the wrong kinds of questions to the wrong kinds of people. And um, it's nice to know that feeling one's way through the world is not an inherent um, weakness. Um, I appreciate that very much. I can feel a lot here, but I'm wondering if, that primal force you spoke about connects in some way to the, the movement you've had throughout your life towards asking the questions that other people are afraid of. Is there a connection there between that force and you and that primal scream or primal, primal force you talked about in a, in a broader universal sense before we started our call? Oh, I think for sure. I think about a lot of things um, as if they are the respective poles of a magnet, like a, a bar magnet, uh, specifically not one of those, like you should, or the ones that you use on your fridge, just like a pineapple on the front, but a magnet on the back. Yeah, like a, like a. <laughs> um, but the, I think about those energies, those forces, whatever I'm calling them on whatever day it is, um, you know, catch me in six months, I'll call them something else. Um, how do I say it? Um, on, in a very visceral way, I feel like, um, you know, an extension of creation, right? Like the beauty in art and in music and in the natural world expresses itself through me too, right? You know, mm. the the same calling that, okay, I'm about to get like real, I'm about to get very woo-woo because um, my Mercury is in cancer and it's cancer it. season. So I'm about to go all out. Um, I, I think about how, like in terms of plate tonics, 
right? How at a certain time, certain what geological forces do their sorcery and things that need to go away are done away with. And that lava goes in to create new earth. And, you know, the cycle continues and blah, blah, blah. But that same earth, that same energy, that same force, that same maybe energetic edict that calls for that transformation, calls, I feel like, calls for it in me too. And I feel like um, that that call that shifts the plates and shifts our land and, and, and all that great stuff is, just, is tethered to that same edict that reminds me that I'm born into a world that I'll have my limited, but hopefully rich, hopefully engaging, tender, you know, limited number of years. And like I mentioned in May of 2020, at the morning that time, one day we'll no longer be here and the folks who come after us will need to make sense of the ways we attempted to live. Or, you know, if we fast forward in, you know, geologic time, you know, one day none of us will be here. Um, and I feel like, and this is about to get so weird, but I feel like at, on some level, at my core, I feel like, I feel tethered to that, or I, I just feel like that impulse is very apparent to me. And perhaps it's because of the family I was raised in, perhaps it's because of my chosen field as a historian, but at the core of it, I just, I just feel this intense, like existential panic. What does it mean that we're here? What does it mean to be human? What the hell are we doing? Right? Like, why are we so obsessed with power? Why can't we seem to, why can't the generations to come or, or any generation that's, you know, uh, at that at any given time. Like, why is it that not one of them at any given point in human time has figured out how to fix this shit? Why, why does it keep getting passed down? Um, mm-hmm. Why are we, you know, stuck on this blue, green, whatever the hell color, uh, rock hurtling through space when ultimately mm-hmm. all we'll have it, you know, are the, the relationships that we chose to cultivate and foster, right? The, the measure of ideas that we had rattling around in our minds, the feelings that tethered us to ourselves and other people, the values we use to inform how we chose to show up in the world. And I just, I really resent growing up and having been socialized in a country with such a short attention span, you know? Mm-hmm. I, it, mm. it feels like a, a bastardization of everything rich and meaningful about what it means to be human, you know, or at least from my vantage point, you know, the storytelling, the camaraderie, the food sharing, right? The co-stewardship of the earth, the, the idea of an intellect, not as something that you use as a cudgel to like bludgeon other people over the head. But it's like a form of worship, right? Using one's intellect mm-hmm. to be a conduit for creativity, beautiful things. You know, I just, I find myself, as we live under fascism, <laughs> I find myself just exhausted 
and exhausted in a country that's just always, you know, feared into the next thing or, you know, warred into the next decade or two. I just, we don't have to live this way. It exhausts me. And on some primal level that sits beyond words, I cannot help but think that at least part of our existential mess is because on some level, every human being knows about that urge, knows about that bending the light, mm. right? Um, mm. And we are just, uh, well, I can't, I can only speak for myself. Having, now that I'm 34, having been brought up where I was in some of the ways that I was for the reasons that I was, it feels like a culture of death and it fucks with me. So yeah, um, that's what I, <laughs> that's how I conceive at least partially of this primal urge, you know, I, you know, that I have to pay rent. I didn't ask to be born, right? Like whose earth is this? Are you, what? Like who do I, who do I sue? Can one sue their parents? I don't want to pay rent or more. I didn't ask for this. How dare you? What? <laughs> what? You mean I'm stuck here on this rock with people that want to literally decimate the thing that we live on? The same people who, you know, hate me, but need me to function? Oh my God. Oof. Yeah. Oh. Oh. I'll stop there. Oh. <laughs> Final urge. PM. <laughs> yeah. The PM. Yeah. Wow. I, uh, there's so much, there's so much moving in me as you share that. I think I want to underline at least two things. One, your capacity to connect to the, the tectonic forces the things that shape the planet of which we are but a small expression of and perhaps a fleeting one on the, on the planetary or cosmic scale, right? But to, to like invite those forces into our life and to look at them and look at ourselves in that context is for me, so beautiful, but I can see my suspicion is that many of us are either blind to those forces or perhaps to your point, really terrified of them. And that terror has to to be buried so deep or be put somewhere else so aggressively that we end up with a world where there are people who are on the receiving end of that terror and that violence as a, as if, as if that would solve anything. I don't, I don't pretend to have all the answers. I don't play God on TV. That seems like a terrible job. <laughs> I don't want it. Um, but my serious, like a terrible job. I would hate to engineer an existence and then be like, y'all stop fighting. What you doing? Get your hand out your pants. What you doing? What, what's the difference? I, anyway, I, Lord Jesus, I forgot what I was going to say. I just went off the rails. Um, I, okay, I have to, I have to gather my thoughts because there are 97 things I want to say. Yeah. Um, 
and don't pretend to know all the answers, but something inside of me connects that very essentially human question. Um, what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> like that, that kind of sheer terror that slices somebody in two, no matter how much Maybelline you buy or no matter how much, you know, how many um, updates to our LinkedIn profiles we make. And I'm preaching to myself right now. Um, there is something, or I find, there's something absolutely terrifying about being here. And we construct these theoretical frameworks and these, you know, and we use, we use like science and the liberal arts and humanities, whatever, to create structure around some of these really jacked up ideas. And then we create cultures and governmental structures on top of them. And it's just like, it's, It's it's exhausting. Mm. I don't quite. I can't help but think that because we suppress those very frightening questions, like you were saying, it's, it's as if the whole globe. Or, uh, do you know that quote that I might butcher? Um, maybe the show knows how to link, I promise. Um, but it's something that there's something to the effect of, you know, I asked the the world where it hurt and it said all over or everywhere, everywhere. It's like I as a historical researcher, it's my job to, you know, investigate, develop lines of inquiry, you know, attempt to gather and parse and make sense of, of our shared cultural inheritance. And I just We are just, we're so fragile Mm. and it's incredibly distressing. Mm. Yeah, there's, I have a sense that you're tuning into something really important right now. Like the ways in which we have exerted an absolutely obscene amount of individual and collective energy to to provide some sort of shape to the, to the primal chaos of existence. And, and in many ways, it's sort of kind of objectively like, wow, that's remarkable. But, on, but like <laughs> on the level of like the lived experience of us as people, for most of us, most of the time, these structures are to varying degrees, depending on where you were lucky enough to be born inside the structures, range from exhausting to dis- destroying. And yeah. I just, I wonder, and I've noticed, and I want to check this with you to see if, if there's something here. I've noticed that the more the more I can see the existence of those structures and find ways, not necessarily like I still have to pay the rent too, or at least I still believe I do, but like find ways in my, in my heart and my mind and my body to, 
to transcend those structures or to see them for what they are, which is just as fragile as us. Like, like, mm. we, like we're mm. fragile and the structures are fragile and all of it is a messy, beautiful, horrific attempt to just try and be with that existential terror that is mm-hmm. being a small mammal on a small planet in a small corner of the universe. But if we can somehow actually, instead of running away from that fact, instead of running away from the primal truth of our lives, that if we could actually find a way to move towards it, to set down some or maybe even all of the structures and be with that primal nature more, that maybe there's something there for us that we've been running from for a long, long, long time. I wonder how that lands with you. Before you started recording, I made a joke that I recently became a grandmother. Yes. Um, at 34, I have a, I have a child named Sprout, um, and Sprout is a succulent plant and is a very adorable. Um, and Sprout has sprouted some additional sprouts. And I've been looking to nature, I've been looking to, <laughs> to the earth for lessons because just the other day, my succulent plant, Sprout, taught me that I can hold my water and bend toward light. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The other day, you know, I saw, um, I saw a, a branch. You know how sometimes like a branch will grow and then a little bud will shoot off and then it'll continue to grow and it'll, you know, jut out again until, you know, it, it might get big and glorious and fan out. It might just be those few buds. But one thing that I noticed, I was like, you know, every time I undergo some personal catastrophe and I, I don't want to say have to, but I get the opportunity to re-engineer my life in the middle of a catastrophe, um, in the middle of an opportunity, um, you know, I wind up shifting and I always feel as if I've reduced myself. But it's like, no, you know, I look to nature and nature ta- taught me that not only, you know, can I set my eyes on a direction, move toward it and, you know, take my pauses when I need to jut out and bloom on the side when I need mm-hmm. to and go back to work without ever having reduced my constitution. I'm like, fuck yeah, Earth. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> I needed that reminder. Um, yeah, I, I, and I think that's another reason why, um, why the United States, why our country is so good at doing what it does. And I, I mean, in terms of indoctrination, like I am a daughter and granddaughter of the great migration. My maternal grandparents, you know, grew up uh, close to land, not even close to land, tethered to land, right? I'm a descendant of enslaved folks and sharecroppers, people whose lives, bodies, and labor went into the engineering of the country and all of that stuff required uh, kinship with land, like intimate knowledge that only stewardship, diligent stewardship can cultivate in a person. You know, when you have to plan at a certain time, reap at a certain time, rotate at a certain time, one has to become not just conversant, but fluent in the earth's languages to figure out what the hell is going on. And I, again, I don't claim to be perfect. I'm, you know, uh, a black millennial from the South side of Chicago. Um, but just like, just like the earth, just like those tectonic plates, I am everything that went into the making of mm. me. Mm. Right. Since my folks got here, 
since the first time they stepped foot on this land in colonial Virginia in what became Kentucky and what became Mississippi since 1820. You know, even when we got to Chicago and I grew up wearing shoes and hearing, you know, the L roar by and the sound, the tinny sound of um, streetlights coming on. Even then, with all that concrete and all that engineering, all those skyscrapers, it's as if I still heard the earth, right? And the earth, land has a memory. And I think that, um, yeah, in short, I think that the earth has a lot to teach us. I, and I don't think that, I think that one thing that brings my heart home, no matter how much, and, and I want to say that this easily erases nearly three and a half decades of experiencing, you know, vicious racism and sexism and classism. I'm not saying that at all, but it definitely brings me back to a, a place of shared humanity, which puts me in a place to engineer something closely mm-hmm. resembling hope. And so when I, I mean, we're all multifaceted. I, you know, just like I'm a black lady, I'm also cis, right? I'm also documented, right? Those same mm-hmm. enslaved ancestors after freedom came benefited from, you know, an emancipation proclamation and some reconstruction amendments that enabled me to be born free, you know, you know, all rules apply, all terms apply, mm-hmm. Um, you know, that enabled me to cast a ballot, you know, because of a 15th and a 19th amendment, all rules apply. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, I, when I think about the earth, it reminds me that there is no facet of who I am or who you are that is unknowable to me, right? Like, even if, like, I don't know, some huge earthquake breaks out in California, God forbid, um, and, you know, like, the earth rends itself and, you know, the plate that needs, quote-unquote, needs to disintegrate does, even still, you know, the earth contains itself. It's magma now, but it contains mm. itself. Mm. Um, so now that I, you know, now that I'm grown-grown, and even as I was processing, you know, once I got out of um, hyper-segregated Chicago and ran in mixed circles, you know, in terms of race, ethnicity, national origin, documented status, ability, all that jazz, orientations of many sorts. Um, it occurred to me after, you know, being raised in a Christian tradition, you know, I was taught that original sin was anything that separated us from the love of God. And I, after a while, I stopped going to church and started doing my own theological thing, but um, I was very earth-based in case you haven't noticed. <laughs> but it, I was like, you know, what if sin isn't what separates, you know, what separates me from the love of God? What if it could ever create or maintains an unhealthy chasm between me and another person, oh. right? And if as a cis person, that's transphobia or queerphobia, that's my work to do. Right. And it's not, ugh, it's not my job to be like, oh my God, I'm a product of my socialization, whatever will I do? Please marginalize, serve, and teach me. Do to me, serve, breathe. Let me cry on your silk dress just because I want you and my tears matter. Please, if you are shot in the street. Um, no. But even still, <laughs> I, uh, I realized that, um, that, Joyfully, willingly, knowingly, even uh, subconsciously participating, just in my opinion, in one's own privilege, corrodes the soul, right? Humanity isn't set up for that. We're not set up to like, I mean, like at a core level, I feel like it is acidic, corrosive. Mm. It, it, it's almost like, almost, it's, it's, 
it's blasphemous, in my opinion, right, to negate the inherent humanity of another person and to construct societies, cultures, mores, institutions, interpersonal dynamics that crush the soul. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting this image. Like if we were to, if we were able to zoom out and sort of put earth on, you know, one of those like stop motion photography things that lets time go or time lapse. That's what it was like. The time lapse photography, like it would, mm-hmm. it would see the motion of the continents, uh, the, the, you know, to keep going with your plate tectonics metaphor, we'd see the motion of the continents breaking apart and, and crashing together and, and spitting up mountain ranges and bursting open with volcanoes. And like, we would see that dance played out at a speed that our minds uh, is accustomed to, like that we can understand. And, and, and if we were to watch some force, I don't know what that force would be, but if we were to watch some force, try and like hold two continents together or keep two continents apart, we would sort of see the earth just kind of like flowing around that force. Like if we tried to put like a, you know, like a wall in the ocean, like that, like the ocean would just kind of like go around the wall and force itself under it and the wall would collapse. And, 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 and eventually what you get is instead of a natural flow, you'd see these kind of like pockets of resistance that, that at some point just burst and break. And when they burst and break, they kind of are, there's a there's a violence to them, a necessary violence to them, and 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 so if I like take yep. that into myself and I think about, if I ask myself the question, what are the ways in which I am consciously or unconsciously trying to put a wall between that force in me, that truth in me, or between me and you? That wall is eventually going to be destroyed, and when it is, like I'm gonna I'm gonna really suffer. In that same way, like there's a way in which what I hear you saying is like, invite us, invite yourself into the possibility that you don't know the whole picture, that you don't, that you don't have all the answers, that there are things moving beyond your day-to-day awareness, and that if you were able to slow down or zoom out or walk in someone else's shoes or whatever it might be, you would see that force in a new way and actually maybe even discover that you trying to hold it back is like trying to like empty out the ocean with a bucket. And that the best thing to do would be to just let it flow and let it happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like your brain. I'm glad we're friends. Oh, I like your brain too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so what's what's moving in you right now? I am thinking, I'm processing what you shared about your astrological situation. And I'm, um, I don't want to say checking it against, but I'm in my mind, I've juxtaposed it with why I instinctively, like intuitively from the first time that we shook hands, or like the first time we met back in May of 2020 at that creative morning, they really need to like give you a sponsorship or something. <laughs> you said that in 97. <laughs> um, I also said Maybelline. I also said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't worry. I'll get all the product, product placement oh, stuff taken care of after, after the show. No worries. Yeah. I am generous. Um, it's the Gemini in me. But no, we, we were talking about astrology. And so I was. Yeah, before I was, we started recording, we were talking. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. For those who are like, what, what, what did Andy tell Rishana about? Oh. Yeah. oh, and so I didn't want to like share the specifics, but I was rethinking about that um, in light of what I felt when we first met. And I was like, oh, well, this makes sense. Um, may, may I just like, or would you mind sharing just a snippet of the astrology stuff? And I can tell you what came up. Yeah, I'd be happy to. I'd be happy to. And, I, and I'll share it like with a full... And you and I have also talked about astrology before. Like I am a, I would describe myself, my relationship to astrology is like uh, lovingly skeptic. And it, it's, okay. it's yeah. useful as with many lenses, like if it's useful, use it. And if it isn't, don't. So I don't put too much stock yep. in it. But I was mm-hmm. on a retreat one weekend and, and I found an astrology book. And in that book, they had a nuanced definition of the signs and and one of the nuances was this idea of being a cusp born, being born on the edge of something. So my birthday is the 23rd of August. In some books, that's the last day of Leo. In other books, that's the first day of Virgo. I would always read stuff for Leo, Virgo, and be like, see, this is why I don't believe astrology. But then I read in this book, cusp born, and I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) Like, oh, shit. Now I kind of like, wow, that's kind of scary how accurate that is, right? So I'm a cusp born Leo to Virgo. And I shared that with you before our call today. And, and that clearly that evokes something in you. Yeah, so I'd love to. <laughs> it's so good. Um, and, I, and I appreciate the way that you um, queued up how we're going to discuss astrology or, you know, just like your perspective as we approach the topic. Because I think of it exactly the same way. I think of everything, every concept, every canon, every theology, every uh, musical genre, every artistic tradition as a set of vocabulary and like related etymology, um, you know, respective histories, potential futures, and uh, basically like a collection of possibilities, language and lenses. Um, you know, before encountering astrology, uh, I didn't have language for, you know, potentially uh, the different kinds of temperaments, like folks who seem to be more fixed, other folks that seem to do the tethering, other mm-hmm. folks that seem to be more mutable. Mm. And so having language for um, potential orientations that are tethered to values, right? Not even get, you know, being obsessed with the ins and outs, the bones of astrology frees me up to, um, to think of my entire life as something that can be, and I'm not going to say picked apart and analyzed into 12 houses, mm. but it's as if, um, astrology for me is like a, a multifaceted dot, like one of those, mm. is it a double mm. jacket drawn the one with like the 20 yes. sides? Yeah. But it's, it's clear for me, right? As I think about my own birth chart, I think about the facets of myself that I've struggled with for a long time. And I think about the quote unquote difficult placements in my chart, you know, the Scorpio moon that scares all the humans. <laughs> The, the, you know, perhaps, which is responsible for a number of my very unnerving questions. Um, it's as if I'm obsessed. Anywho, um, I bring this up because, you know, my entire life, folks were telling me, oh, God, you're sensitive, or you're so moody, or you're so ugh, basically unmanageable. Mm. Um, um and also, you know, I grew up in, I mean, think about it. Um, you know how old I am. You know where I'm from. Um, mid-30s, 
growth in a 99.8% Black, African-American ethnicity, specifically, neighborhood on the far south side of Chicago, raised by a loving mother with a permanent uh, cognitive disability that followed a brain surgery she had while pregnant, Mm. right? I was raised in that multi-generational household with my mom and maternal grandparents, right, who were born in the early 1940s in Mississippi. So much of my upbringing was beset and permeated with rules, just rules and um, and rules that never really made sense to me as a kid. And I just grew up frustrated with the adults around me. I mean, I loved them. They cultivated my mind. I, I was a very plucky kid, in case you can imagine, um, always cheesing and giving hugs. Um, but growing up in a home that valued restraint and restriction so much and didn't value um, pleasure, joy, satisfaction, stifled me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized as, you know, as I look at my birth chart and I look at a number of these quote unquote difficult placements, I'm like, wow, I wonder what a potential solution might be. I wonder, I wonder if, you know, if Toni Morrison was right, you know, it hurts when dead things come back to life. But if, even if that's true, I've done hard things and I, I can, I, I'm doing them now, I'll do them again in the future. But when I met you, I remembered feeling um, like a wave of relaxation. Mm. I really value, oh God, I value eye contact. I, I, and I know that folks have varying degrees of comfort for a number of different reasons. Yeah. But, um, or not, but, and, um, you know, I have lived my entire life in a body that people have dismissed, disrespected and violated at times. It's nice to have someone look me in my eye and give me a firm handshake. I mean, I, and so there's, there's the dignity part, but there's also the, um, the energy part. I remember thinking, Hmm, you know, I often read in astrology that folks consider, or a lot of folks consider the moon. And it's fall in Scorpio, you know, because it's like, oh, these are your emotions, but they're stuck. What's going on? <laughs> um, and so I like I, this astrologist, by like, the way, who's doing all these readings for you. I like, I like, I like their voice. It's really- <laughs> <laughs> this is a, a composite. This is yeah. like Miss Cleo Coleman, out, but it's more like, oh, all my astrology, my astrological angst. Yeah. Um, I've just created this composite. I am. Um, but I look at the house that my that my soul is in, Scorpio Moon is in, and it's in the sixth, right? It's in the house of, of health, right? It's in the house of your sign, mm-hmm. right? A sign that is earth-based and mutable, right? When I think about mutable earth, I think about evolution. I think about, you know, shifting plates, and I think about growth. And honestly, when <laughs> I was surprised when you told me that you were a uh, a couple. Human between Leo and Virgo because I had you pet no legit and, and this is not with any like judgment or meanness at all in my heart. Um I pegged you as like a, a Pisces or something because I just imagine you as very watery and flowy. Probably because I wanted to cry when I met you. So I'm probably projecting. But anyway, um in the past I've had issues with mutable earth energy because you know my grandparents um uh embodied a number of qualities and, and demonstrated them in the home that didn't make mutable earth 
feel like evolution. Mm. It made it feel like obsolescent. It made it feel like, why aren't you grown? Why don't you know this? Why aren't you here yet? I think that there are a number of ways to to create waves and move things and cultivate growth. You know, I do a lot of cultivating of life by destroying things, mm. right? Like that's something that I am incredibly adept at doing. You know, with that watery moon I got, what is the quality of this relationship? What does this mean? What are my core values? Am I, you know, the life that I've engineered atop those values, are they in line or is my house about to fall? When I think about what I'm, in terms of in astrological terms, when I think about what I'm uniquely equipped to do as a result of those quote unquote difficult placements, it encourages me to seek out places where dead things can come back to life. Mm. Um, mm. I trust, you know, mutable earth energy these days because I'm trusting myself more these days. And for some reason, you know, this, you know, granddaughter of sharecroppers whose family's been in the country for centuries, mm. someone who's, you know, just on a cultural level has a kinship with earth that sits beyond words. Like the first time I visited Mississippi, where my folks are from, I, I was maybe eight or nine. I felt like something was calling out to me. I could see just acres and acres of fields around me. Um, and it was a place that was completely unlike where I grew up. But it felt like home. And a couple of days ago, my mother told me that she... um that uh, the first time I went to Mississippi, the first time I remember going, it's not actually my first time being there. Mm. I was brought there when I was about one or two. Um, and so when I think about, when I think about difficult placements, when I think about, you know, orientations that might cause tension or animosity, when I think about dead things coming back to life, I just think about how, how perhaps for me, my first religions were an upturned faith and like what was required of me to constantly kill, you know, metaphorically speaking, kill the land in between me and other people, in between myself and other people. And so, yeah, astrology just became a really interesting tool for me to remind myself that there's nothing fallen or stuck, but merely things that are in various stages of evolution. Mm. Hopefully, mm. as long as I put in the work. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that really. And I'm a Gemini Cancer cusp. Oh, cool. Cousin. Cool. Cusp cousins. <laughs> I think the thought can feel the feelings. <laughs> 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 oh. That was such... Can I talk about them all? <laughs> I love it. Well, and that was, and that gets back to what I opened this conversation with. You, even if you're not literally talking about a hundred percent of them all of the time, there's a way in which I, I have this like really lovely image. It's almost a sense that 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 while you were standing on that particular stage, and while you're sitting across from me in this virtually mediated way, but you're still like in your space and I'm in mine. There's a way in which you are 
as best as you're able, saying to all of these other parts of you and of, of your lineage and of your ancestry and of my ancestry and of my lineage, or like all of it, just like, come in, come into the house. Let's talk. Let's break bread. Let's look at, yeah. let's look at who we are and where we came from. And yeah. let's bring what we need to bring back to life. Yeah. Yeah. I am. I'll, I'll share with the folks here. Like I shared back in, back in May of last year with the creative morning squad. I, there are these moments when I, uh, when I'm in the thick of things, I'm like, Oh no, my brain, not to pay a bill. I need a sandwich. Oh no. Grubhub is expensive. What's going on? I need an adult. And I zoom it out. And I think about so, how so many circumstances had to unfold when they did, how they did to not just leave room for our existence, but to enable our past to cross. Like I think about how some ancestors got on a plane, a boat, a ship, whatever they walked, came up out the ocean. I don't know. Used to live in a tree in Canada. I have no idea. But somehow, all our folks got here, and um, and I, I, I shit you not, I for for most for many years now, whenever I meet people and I get the like the intuitive urge, or I'm just curious whether we're switching business cards, and I notice a very unique surname, or I just get a feeling. I ask folks where they're from, where their last name comes from, and for years now, I've been getting these stories, and I've been collecting them, like you know, oh. My family's original Italian name meant passes by singing, but it, you know, we changed it when we got here. Or, you know, I think about how, Jesus, I just, yeah, I think about how, how emotionally and financially invested so many individuals and organizations are in, um, in appropriating African-American culture specifically. And when I think about that, especially when it's coming from like white folks, and this is not to dismiss everybody who's not African-American or white, but I'm making a very specific point here. Um, when, I've, when I've stated a boundary, you know, like you know, shared information, both as and a real life human black person, <laughs> but also a trained historian, um, a lot of, I've just, I, oh, there are some cases where I experienced some pushback and it's like, what do you mean? It's, in so many words, what do you mean I'm not entitled to this? Or, and I kept digging. And when I kept digging and asking folks follow-up questions, um, at the heart of it for a number of folks was, well, if I don't have your stuff, I won't have anything. <sighs> right? Like, I'm American, so this is my culture, too. Yes, but history is important, right? As someone, like, just as a human being, I feel like I am tethered to every person who has ever lived and will ever live. And I feel like a beneficiary of every uh, every social movement on earth, every time period on earth. That said, I am not, I've never believed that that has entitled me to everything. If anything, it, it engineered a humility and, and inclination toward constantly being awestruck, right? It's like, thank fuck that all this, oh, not that all this stuff happened, but my God, am I lucky that I made a series of decisions or whatever that enabled me to experience this or, you know, wow, that one individual sovereign subaltern group of people, vulnerable group of people in whatever place at whatever time, you know, in, in response to whatever social circumstances. Wow. You know, because those people chose to respond to their cultural moment 
um, maybe they were clued, you know, clued into that primal urge for life mm. to manifest mm. itself, right? Self-preservation for life to extend itself and to continue itself. Um, I'm also pro-choice, by the way, but maybe, um, like, that engenders something wonderful in me, just as a human being, knowing that at the core of things, there is an inextinguishable urge to live and live abundantly. Like, that's powerful as hell. That said, um, I honor the cultural contributions that that have been poured out of the underside of history, engineered by specific groups of people. And I honor the sovereignty of that cultural tradition. I do not inject myself, right? I do not attempt to make money off of it, Mm -hmm. right? I do not attempt to center myself in that cultural narrative. If anything, I speak from a place of authority over my own life um, and express gratitude at the fact that that, thing, that tradition, that language for what it means to be human and thrive and flourish or attempt to live was cultivated and that I was born at a time when I could benefit from it as a human being. Well, not benefit from it, but when the quality of my life could be enriched and the quality of our institutions could be, our institutions, um, constitution could be strengthened Mm -hmm. as a result of what Mm -hmm. we do. Mm -hmm. I um, I feel like if I don't stop there, I will talk for ninety-seven and a half years. <laughs> My back is hot because I'm real angry. <laughs> We're not angry. I'm just frustrated. Well, so so interesting to hear you're frustrated. I want to maybe, if you feel called to, hear you say more about that. But um, what I was really tuning into that was not frustrating for me, that was quite enlivening, was. I have been wrestling with the question of how personally, personally, I have been wrestling with the question of how to help myself and, and the people in my life and the people that I reach realize, really realize, like really feel in our bodies and our hearts that, that the story we've been living with this, that it's either me or you that it's a zero-sum game, and if you have stuff, then I can't have stuff, is kind of an insanity that, um, that is not only, not only not true if we look at the universe, if we actually look at the universe, really just look at nature like you were alluding to earlier or saying, saying earlier in the call. It's only not true. It's also like killing all of us from very to varying degrees from like metaphorical all the way down to literal. And that, that instead there's a way in which there's like a much beautiful, richer story that doesn't eradicate all of the ugliness that, that we've been a part of, but that just says like, we, we are the children of survivors. We have, we come from people who by, by virtue, by luck, by uh, manipulation, by, by generosity, like by all of it, have done what they thought they needed to do to get to the next day. And through that have emerged, in many cases, some incredible lineages and traditions that, that are just, we're just a part. If we go back far enough, we go back far enough, we're all, we're all a part of it. It's all our story. And that, but that doesn't mean that we have to like appropriate the, like, it doesn't mean like, Ooh, like I want that story, not this one. It's like, no, can you tell a bigger story than 
It's me or you. It's good or bad. I win, you lose. Can we tell a story that honors the fact that we are not perfect? That honors the fact that we have made a lot of mistakes and that honors that we have so much beauty inside of us that allows that that might allow a future where if not in our lifetimes in our children or grandchildren's lifetimes we can walk like like we can walk together as one species in a way that we've never done before i just want snacks i just want yeah (laughs) we need some snacks snacks and tea after that (laughs) i'm very simple i just that's where my existential grunt came from. Um, I know in my bones that, and I was telling my family this the other day in the group chat, we don't have to live this way. I think that's what gets me the most. Um, My mama, and, and I seek my mother's permission to tell stories about her when I share about our lives and in podcasts. So I have gotten permission to share this. My, When I was small, my mom and I, we went to church for a, for a choir rehearsal. It was around the holidays. And after we wrapped up singing, you know, the dozen or two dozen or so of us stood in a circle and we each had a candle and the pastor had a lit candle. He, um, you know, he says a benediction, lights the candle of the person to his left. And they go on and on until the light hits my mother's candle. My mother proceeds to continue like normal, she lights the candle of the person to her left, and then she walks clear across the circle to light another person's candle. Um, now, for some reason, my childhood memory of this moment stops there. I think that must have been when I started to process. I'm like, oh, what is my mother surreptitiously trying to teach me? Because I was that kind of kid. Um, maybe as an only child, you can relate. Um, <laughs> it's like, oh, what are the adults doing? What are they up to? But I remember yeah. it being a very small nugget. And... Um, and drawing a lesson, or at least maybe building a lesson off of my mom's uh, unplanned behavior. But I remember thinking, wow, okay, so my job, okay, my job, when the light hits me, is to pass it on. And the passing of light doesn't have to be ordered. I remembered learning that or witnessing that in my mom's behavior when I was really little. Um, and again, I don't, I don't get the sense that it was a conscious decision of my mother's because I asked her about it last, the other week and she was like, what? I was always watching. Um, Scorpio moon creeper. <laughs> um, um, but it was just, it was, it was nice to know that, how do I say this? That um, this my mom is just a, a fount. Font? I don't know. She is a source <laughs> of lessons. You know, she's so tender and so open, but so has such resolve, right? She has integrity and, of course, inherent human dignity. Um, and I've rarely seen her hesitate to, um, I don't want to say to, because, you know, language is problematic, so I'm searching for the right way to say this. Not to reduce herself, but to make herself low. But you know how sometimes stewardship requires that we suppress certain things, right? Like when I'm in a group of... To be of service? Yeah, like when I'm in a group of like trans women of color and I'm some cis person who's supposed to be supporting, it's not my, it's not my 
job at that time to be centering my own stuff. It's like sometimes, imagine mm-hmm. that. It's okay mm-hmm. to not say something. Imagine <laughs> how wonderful it would be if we didn't always process out loud all the time or inflict the consequences of our worldviews on other people. Or, you know, it's, it's just wonderful. It was wonderful to grow up in a house and, and be taken care of, loved, raised by a mother who was so tender and tender and tough mm-hmm. at the same time. And just so honestly, and this is not me being ableist or weird because I have the same inclination. My mother has a childlike wonder that I thank my lucky stars that I inherited and that my family did not cultivate mm. out of me. Oh my God. Mm. Oh my God. Mm. My ability mm. to my, not just ability, but my ability, my inclination and my strong desire to not just look at things, but to look into things and through things that comes from my mother mm. and the way that she mm catches light and immediately spreads it without thinking, without thought, just as if it is her moral imperative and social responsibility. And she just associates that with her integrity, right? Like these are the values, you know, that I've decided to build my life on. My house will be solid um, because people have to live in it. It reminds me of that Sandra, Sandra Cisneros quote, like, oh, I'm going to butcher all these. I'm so sorry. It's just, they're jumbled in my brain right now. Um, I was in group therapy earlier, uh, but it's that it's reminiscent <laughs> of that, uh, or the sentiment for me is reminiscent of that Sandra Cisneros quote, like the or the world is something to the effect of the world is a house on fire and the folks that we love are inside of it, right? Like I don't build houses mm-hmm. without strong foundations, right? Without strong walls and solid roofs because the folks, cause folks have to live in it. And that's mm-hmm. <laughs> that's eighty percent of my primal scream. Like, and that's also 80% of yeah. the reason why I watch Gordon Ramsay's show. Because that man, he cares about integrity <laughs> and quality. Hello? He goes into a space. He assesses. He's aware of the interpersonal dynamics. You know, he has a keen eye for observing the overall structure of things. Um, is very experienced and adept at understanding what quality and integrity requires of us in, the term, in terms of, like, hard work, diligence, thoroughness constant humility, the willingness to course correct when you find it, when you figure out that your plan isn't working and not being so besotted mm-hmm. with your ego that you refuse to make changes. Like I don't watch what was that nightmare kitchen, whatever the thing's called. I don't watch it on the, on the YouTube on Al Gore's internet for nothing. I watch it because <laughs> in my opinion, life at large is about learning how to die. Um, and I think that's mm-hmm. what perhaps mm-hmm. That's what Scorpio moons in the sixth house, in the sixth house know best. I know how to die so I can live. Um, yeah. And I'll, Oof. and you know, when, when the trauma doesn't get too tough on certain days, you know, when it doesn't manifest in my body to an unbearable degree, because white supremacy is stressful. Like it is stressful. Um, it has decreased my quality of life or they have inc- decreased my quality of life. And I'm sure to some degree, not that I want to speak this into existence or like give it emotional weight, but we know, we know that science is real. I'm pretty sure it's shortened my life as well. I grew up in 
right next door to the, what's known as the toxic donut in Chicago, right? The environmental justice movement, part of its roots are in this uh, pro- uh, project housing complex called Altgill Gardens on the far southeast side of Chicago, right? Lead in the paint in the walls, poison in the water, poison mm. in, the, in the earth, poison in the dirt, poison in the materials that went into the making of the building. Whenever people ask me if we should treat folks of the past, if we should judge or, you know, take a look at past actions, historic circumstances, and judge them according to our modern standards, whatever, um, I something in me shudders instinctually. Um, but I, I understand if some folks have that question, because I, I do believe it can be an honest question. I truly believe that, um, that most questions can be truly honest questions. And so when I, because I mean, let's be real, like, I, I'm, I'm triggered by isms all the time. And I don't mean that in some piecemeal, uh, snowflakey kind of way. And these are not terms that I use. Like, so I'm not signaling anything politically. So I don't want y'all to say, no, don't tweet me. Um, what, what I'm saying is white supremacy, patriarchy, and, and classism, capitalism have conspired to lock me at my core. The other day, somebody back home in Chicago invited me to be a guest speaker on some project, and they made a quip about my communication style. Now, I'm living in New England, surrounded by a sea of sarcastic people, and um, I am a Midwesterner raised by Southerners. I can talk, as I'm sure you can hear. Um, That said, this person was a, a white cis dude who made a crack about the way I communicate. Meanwhile, he was asking me for, he had already gotten my time because he was on a call with me. He was asking for my labor and he was asking for it for free. And he yeah. had the nerve to poke fun. No, I'm, I'm no sensitive cookie. Yay, Lexapro. Um, yay, tools and, you know, tools I'm acquiring. That said, from the time that I was very small, I remember having very little control over my personal and bodily autonomy, right? Like followed in stores for as long as I can remember, you know, in certain stores on the South side of Chicago, and I'm sure in lots of places where there are high concentrations of black folks. And again, um, I don't think it's, uh, how do I say this? I understand that issues are multifaceted, but I'm speaking from my lived experience. And so right now I'm centering African-Americans on the south side of Chicago, because that's literally who I am and what I'm talking about. That said, in certain stores with, you know, or certain places with high populations of black folks, um, specifically African-Americans, because sometimes this can come from non-African-American or immigrant black folks who are opening up shops in predominantly or vastly African-American neighborhoods. Anywho, practices like having to check your, um, your other shopping bags or your, your purse or your wallet or whatever when you walk into a store so that you can't have your own things while you shop because they are suspecting that you'll steal. Um, first time that happened to me, I was maybe, I don't know, maybe six or seven. Um, I got my first job at Harvard Business School in January of 2017, and I was very excited to start my first day. I went to the, um, I went to the coop in, in, in Spangler in a, uh, the one on HBS's campus. 
And one of my coworkers, one of my soon-to-be coworkers, was watching me the whole time. Um, I think about how mm-hmm. I've spent the last 25 years of my life being street harassed, um, you know, uh, and trigger warning. I, I won't go into any you know, specific details because I want to be mindful. But, um, yeah, I think about how everything from my body to the sounds that come out of it, the food that goes into it, the places it can go, the stuff that it gets to, to read, you know, because something might get be behind a paywall. When I think about how I'm, you know, someone without a college degree who's worked at multiple elite institutions, I just, I think about all the ways that the societies, the circles that I've run in have encouraged me to think of myself as not worthy, Mm. as not belonging, but as useful, as necessary, but necessary in the way that gasoline or petroleum is necessary. Because I feel like even, even like the way that we think about gas is different from the way we think about petroleum, right? Like one is the, is the resource and we're like, yes, this is the core thing. This is what we fuck up the earth for and da da da. But yes, at the very least, you can be like, well, you know, we use it to go places and, you know, in New Jersey it's illegal to pump your own gas, so it's a job creator. And it's like, okay, but yeah, but we just have a bunch of derricks everywhere and none of our public schools have books that are younger than thirty years old. What the fuck are we doing? Um anyway, I yeah, I think about how everybody seems to have a vision and rules for who I am and how I'm allowed to show up in the world and operate, except for me. And that makes me really fucking mad, especially when I go to great lengths to constantly become a better version of myself. And again, I'm not perfect, but at the very least, I am deeply invested in dying daily so that I can live well. Mm. Um, And in my mind, living well means living with integrity taking care of my needs, acting like I'm tethered to all the folks around me, think of myself as a cultural beneficiary agent and eventual ancestor, even if I don't have biological kids of my own. Um, And that's the work. And I figure that's my cosmic homework, my cosmic duty. um, Until, you know, I shuffle off this mortal coil. Um, I think about that, uh, that satellite with the blues record on it that was hurled into into space yeah. so that uh, just in case the you know some some non-human friends find it out there in the ether they can be like oh they were jamming um and, and there's a whole nother conversation to be had about the fact that the the man who recorded that blues record died um penniless uh, from exposure um mm. Yeah, I'm going to send you so many links for show notes. <laughs> but I, um, sorry, I just, I really want to say his name out loud because it's hurting me. Um, one moment, please. Um, yeah, it's in Vsauce's YouTube video, Messages for the Future. Mm. Um, oh, no. Oh, no. What is it? Oh, gosh. Sorry, I don't want to take the time to do, I don't want to distract us anymore, but I'll... I'm trying to yeah. find it too, but we will oh, definitely. Okay. You, you must Violet be talking the about. Night. Say it again. Dark. I think it's dark. Was the night? Cold yeah. was the ground. Oh mm-hmm. darn it! Oh fuck. 
Who knew? You all are getting a sense of my uh, inner dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Blind Willie Johnson. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, no. So, Johnson, yep. Oh, and Chuck Berry. My heart. Oh, my heart. Yeah. Mm. An American gospel blues singer, guitarist, and evangelist. He recorded 30 songs in three years. Oof. Who pre-internet? Yeah. Oh, Rishana, I early you, you said something like I could talk for ninety-seven and a half years, and I want to let you know I could I could sit here and hear you talk for ninety-seven and a half years. I you feel, stop. I feel really <laughs> full right now. I feel really a sense like I want to ask. We we do have to wrap, unfortunately, but I. I guess I want to make sure I get get two pieces of information and then just give you the last word. One, what what was what was your mother's name? What is your mother's name? Oh, my mama's name is Sharon Gray, and she's very cool, and we talk constantly. She sounds <laughs> so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. She's great. Yeah, and then um, oh, you said something that I wanted to get a little more a little more data on, but it's escaping me. I guess what I, uh, I guess what I want to invite you to share as we close, you've, you've used two phrases that have been really poignant to me. One is that each of us can be passers of the light and we don't have to do it in order. Mm. And do that, that by learning how to die, we can learn how to live. Though, like one of those two statements is probably going to be the title of, of this episode. But I want to just invite you in. Like, is there some way in which if you could now talk to anyone who hears this, and we just trust that whoever needs to hear this, hears this, how might, how might all of us from wherever we sit become pastors of light? Or how might we learn how to die better so that we can live? Is there anything you want to say about that to people who are listening, if you feel called to? Or anything else you want to speak to? we wrap up <laughs> ah, okay so i <laughs> i thought of something i will <laughs> not be embarrassed to share this um and that was not me trying to convince you that was me trying to convince me <laughs> i strongly believe um and or oh well no i have two main advisors um five-year-old me and whatever, you know, whatever age I am at the moment, I tack on 10 years. Um, but for the purposes of this thought experiment, I'll go with five-year-old me and 95-year-old me. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I think about the moment that I, um, that I committed to living a different kind of life or a kind of, and by different kind of life, I mean the kind of life that no one who raised me could prepare me for mm. that's that, or at least that's the closest I can get to it verbally to describing what I mean verbally. Um, but I remember being, you know, it was 20 years ago, you know, the night before my eighth grade graduation at Dunn elementary school on 108th and union in Chicago. Um, I remember pulling a little chair out onto the porch of my childhood home it was nighttime. In case you can't tell, I'm obsessed with stars. I re- or the firmament, I remember walking out into that porch and asking, asking creation, existence, the universe, 
the ether, the firmament, whatever was behind it. Um, I remembered asking with a clear, full heart, help me live a life I can be proud to live. Um, and, uh, and I, this goes back to what I really appreciate about my mama at her core. This is someone who my mama has experienced, um, some tough times since she was very small and to become pregnant at 21 and have a stroke and an aneurysm that forced her to learn to read, write, walk, and talk again Mm. as a new parent, a new single parent. You know, she has an infant, me, at home, and she's taken the L during Chicago winters to go to rehabilitation centers, physical rehabilitation centers, because she's learning to walk again. I just, I think about the purity of her heart and the, the gusto with which she lives her life. And so I'm glad she's my mom because she preserved that childlike heart, that heart that does not seek to create things as um, and turn it into a side hustle because it lives in a fucked up capitalist culture that, you know, will wring every last dollar out of you until it's done. Um, And then it'll do the same to your kids. You know, I think about you know, how my mom was not able or allowed to work after her brain surgery. She um, she received Social Security benefits because she's permanently disabled. And so I remember she she needed a um, a part time job or she wanted to supplement our income. And so she got a job assembling um, like jewelry. And it was it was piecemeal. Um, I know we're closing, um, but I take your time. Take your time. Um, basically, the, the long and short of the story is the government made her pay them back, and I I know that some folks will say, "Well, you know, there was a rule; she didn't follow the rule." I hear that. I hear that rules, order, structure are all very important. Um, They lend buildings their integrity. Like nobody wants to, again, nobody wants to live in something without structure, something without integrity. Um, But I don't want to live in a place that has integrity and structure and no heart. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I think about myself at five years old, myself at 95 years old and, I just realized that perhaps it was my um perhaps it was my heart that enabled me to see perhaps it was my heart that encouraged me to pull that chair out onto the porch to make that very pure to pray that very pure prayer and that's the that's the truest word that I have for it even though I don't really consider myself very religious in the traditional sense now or at least in accordance with how it's brought up but that was a prayer. That was a prayer. Um, and it was a prayer in the way that I think most prayers are. Um, lots of folks are like, oh, you really think prayer works? Well, you know, I, I can't account for, for a deity. I can't account for the divine. But I will say, as somebody who was brought up in black churches, somebody who has felt the earth move 
drums, the clapping of hands, the stomping of feet, right? Like the, if you've never been to a Southern black church, or at least just like a church, a black church out of that tradition, that mm-hmm. liberation mm-hmm. theology, like to, to watch people move and tarry and bubble up into like this cacophony of praise and then to feel that collective energy sort of shake the foundations of the place that you're in or the ground that you're standing on. Um, Even with all of my nifty education and my New England living, um, I know for a fact that prayer changes people and people go on to change the world. Yes. Um, And so I encourage people. I feel comfortable to say amen for that. Oh, <laughs> oh no! You gotta cut out my goofy ass. But no, include it, include it. Because I'm a toddler. And, um, I've, ne- and I've never yeah. been to a church in that tradition. But maybe, maybe we could go together sometime. But I just like feel very moved by how you're describing it. it sounds amazing. Oh my God, my heart! I will buy a wig and a hat just to shout it off. But there's this, <laughs> there's something to it. Yeah. There's something to it. So I encourage the folks listening if you're looking for. If you're looking for your um, that impulse, that wire, a sort of bar to hang hope on, I suppose I would encourage folks to look at their own hearts, pray the prayer, and then show up to do the work, and then keep showing up. Because just like the better future is our birthright, the work is our birthright, too. Mm. That's all mm. I got. Mm. Oh my gosh, Roshana. Thank you for this conversation. This was so awesome. Yeah. I needed this because I'm telling you, in a lifetime of like, ah, logic, what, ah, math, what do you, yeah, <laughs> let me be. Let me talk about, you know, shifting continents so I can tell you what I ate for breakfast this morning. Just let me do my thing. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, I think I needed it too. I know I needed it. I can feel it. And I, I really trust that whoever needs to hear it will hear it when they need to hear it. Hmm. And when they do, some of them are going to say, and I'll have it all in the show notes and stuff, but like they're, they might hear this right now. They hear this moment and go like, I need to know more about Rayshana. I need to know more about her work, her writing, her speaking. Where should they go if they want to know more about what you're up to in the world? Oh, well... Um, let's see. My name, Instagram, and Twitter handles are all Rayshana Gray. Um, my website is called, for now, The Idealogue, uh, you know, uh, dot info. Uh, that's pretty nifty. Uh, T-H-E-I-D-E-O-L-O-G-V-E dot info. Um, and yeah, you know, find me outside. I'll probably be talking to some flowers, stealing some animals. <laughs> Doing something weird. Paying close attention to nature out there. Yes. Spray painting etymology graffiti. Well, no, I mean, but not on buildings or anything. I don't know, somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. I can't wait till next week get to talk. In the meantime, thanks to everyone for tuning in. This has been a, a real treat to be with you, and I can't wait to share it with you all. <laughs> ciao, ciao. Thanks for tuning in to the Wonder Dome. This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from Kelly Serquois, and audio editing services from John Nolan at Middle Mountain Studios. If 
theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact in the lives of others, consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on and keep this show going for as long as I'm able, but 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work, and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now, more than ever.